You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Split. When we allow everything apart from God to define our worth, we will always be fighting an uphill battle, which will lead to a hollow victory. After fighting this battle, we will begin to accept the apparent fact that we have no value. What do you do when you have become comfortably numb? Hey guys, how we doing today? Doing good? It's good to see you guys. It's genuinely good to be with you. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time today, we are in the week two, week two of a series that we've called Split. Last week, we opened up this series with this, uh, with this teaching surrounding our search for significance, and we talked about the, the reality that a lot of people in our world today, a lot of people even in our church, maybe we find ourselves at times feeling empty, and that was kind of the big word of the day, empty. In fact, I just want you to turn to your neighbor right now and look at him and say, Empty in your most epic voice as you can, that you can. Just go ahead right now. Yes, nice, very good, right? But here's, here's what I know. Even though we spent like the significant portion of last week talking about the feeling of emptiness, for some of you, we didn't go deep enough, right? For some of us, you, you might even feel, we might even feel like we were just scratching the surface because here's something that I know to be true. Um, there's something deeper there's something lower. There's something that runs beneath the surface of empty. And so for some of us, we feel empty, but for others of us, it's not that we feel empty, it's that we feel numb. Does that make sense? And it's, it's not like we don't care, it's like that we don't even have the fortitude to care. It's, it's not that good things or bad things happen to us, it's like whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's all just kind of relative because we're just numb. Uh, if you look for the word numb in the, the dictionary, it says that it's deprived of the power of sensation. And I, and I got to let you know, this is a really tricky subject because it's not that there's not sensation. It's, it's the fact that, that, that somebody is deprived of the power of, sensa- of sensation, deprived of the power to even have sensation. Maybe you started a business and it failed and now it's left you feeling numb. This is going to get real, real quick, just so you know. Uh, maybe you were married and she left you and now you feel numb. Or you were dating for a long time and you broke up and now you're just like, I don't care anymore. I'm done. I'm numb. Maybe you lost a loved one and you're angry at God. But you're too proud to admit it and so you still come, but inside you're numb. Maybe you've gone through the religious cycle and you've been working your whole life trying to earn something that you can't attain and in the end it's just made you feel numb. I I really don't know what it is. Maybe it's some type of an addiction that fills you momentarily but in the end it actually feels like it steals your soul and it leaves you feeling numb. What do you do? What do you do when you're numb? What do you do when, when you don't have the will, the heart, or even really the capacity to care anymore? What do you do when you're comfortable in your numbness? Well, I want to start off by letting you know today that this is a tricky subject. Man, I've got to be honest with you. I really wrestled with, with, with walking through this, but, but by the end, I've been so encouraged by the words of Scripture. And I don't know if reading Scripture is, is something that you do daily. I don't know if that's a part of your routine. I want to encourage you to get involved in a Sea Life group where we open God's Word and, and on just a personal level, to daily spend time in God's word, because as, as you'll see today, it is so imperative in rescuing us from this numbness. So I'm going to ask if you would just to kind of tune in for the next 30 minutes or so. Give me, give me some good attention, and let's see if we can come up with an answer for this, this, 
this numbness. Can we do that? Yes? Are you guys with me? Yeah? All right, good. Here we go. Um, when we talk about numbness, it's interesting because I hear people talk all the time about our generation, whatever that includes, right? Um, and it's kind of funny because I know people like to dog our generation, you know? But, but I hear a lot like, oh, this is the most depressed, anxious. I don't know why I get a southern accent when I talk like that. This is the most depressed and anxious generation of all time. You know what I mean? And, um, and they might be right, but the feeling of numb, the feeling, almost this nihilistic feeling like nothing matters, isn't a new thing. In fact, if you were to open up scripture and go to the book of Ecclesiastes, verse, verse one, chapter one, right out the gate, you're gonna, you're gonna hear from a king, King Solomon, who, by the way, was one of the most loved kings. King David was his father. Dude's the wisest, wealthiest person. He's got love like, like surrounding him, like his, his country adores him, and yet this guy is empty. If you read through Ecclesiastes one, you're gonna hear him saying things like, the sun rises and the sun sets. The wind blows from this way, and then it blows from that way. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity. Nothing ever changes. This isn't a new problem. Being numb is not a new issue. I mean, Solomon's going like half Buddhist, half nihilist on us here, talking about the fact that nothing even matters and this is why I'm so thankful for Paul. Paul is just the OG. He is just the original gospel presenter. That's, you didn't think I was going to say that. Um, he's just amazing because he's, he's going he's gonna to chastise the church in Corinth, but he's also going like, to teach them and show them what it actually means to be rooted in Christ. And let's see if Paul can speak into our question of numbness. 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, this should be a passage that you should be pretty familiar with. Starting in verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Let me hear you say child. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, and I'm gonna ask if you would, just read this with me, could you? So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, and love. These three things, according to Paul, are, are of utmost importance to being fulfilled as a human being. Faith, hope, and love. They're the three things that Scripture says will remain. And he's speaking to his church. They're all wrestling with these spiritual gifts. Some people are trying to prophesy. Other people are trying to speak in tongues. Other people are, are yelling at people and trying to be authoritative. And Paul's like, stop. Everybody just cut it out. None of that stuff really matters. Like you can, you can be incredibly close to God and have all these incredible gifts and have all these incredible miracles and workings. But here's three things that you have to have. Faith, hope, and love. All these things are going to pass away. All that stuff, all prophecy is going to pass away. All miraculous gifts are going to pass away. But these three things are going to remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And it's interesting that he says this because faith, hope, and love present an interesting contrast. When, you know, when, when you think about faith, really kind of not the opposite, but if there's no faith, there's doubt. If there's no hope, there's despair. If there's no love, there's fear. And when you think about, listen now, when you think about this understanding of what it feels like to be numb, sometimes we have a hard time putting it into words, but I think the words doubt 
fear, despair, sum it up pretty nicely, don't you? You ever been in a place where there's doubt, where there's darkness, where there's despair, where there's no hope, where you feel numb, where there's doubt? What is the answer to that? Well, it's easy. Not simple, but it's easy. Paul tells us right here the answer. Faith, hope, and love. The cure for your numbness is faith, hope, and love. And you say, okay, thanks. That doesn't really help me. No, it does. I think the problem is we've gone, we've gone about faith, hope, and love incorrectly. And so we have to return to a biblical point of view on what faith, hope, and love actually are, because I think we've come up with some misconceptions. And so I want to walk us through those misconceptions. Number one, the misconception of faith. Hebrews 11, chapter one, uh, chapter 11, verse one tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. The author goes on in verse three and says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By the way, chapter 11, verse 3, that is incorrect. That W should be capital because it's speaking directly, not only of the word, but of the word. We know in John 1, 1, what? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's Jesus Christ. So everything, by the way, God does, he does through covenant. He does through Jesus' covenant. I don't mean our church, but just the covenant that he makes with mankind through Jesus Christ. Doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but kind of important. All right. Anyway, it says, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, pause. Can we just take this here for a second? What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That should blow your mind. Because when somebody's like, we have reached godhood, we have cloned a sheep. Okay, make a sheep without things that are visible. Then you can kind of talk about how godly you are. Okay, just sorry, that's my little thing there. The author of Hebrews is trying to tell us here that our faith is connected to something greater than ourselves. Now you're like, clearly. No, not clearly. We wrestle with that. We struggle with that. Because part of the problem is that we think that we have to generate faith. Part of our issue today is that we think we have to muster up some incredible amount of faith. Like we have the ability to create faith. And, and I know that there's a lot of like passionate teachers or preachers or speakers or books that talk about your faith and have more faith and create more faith. No, no, you have to understand that faith is not something we generate. Faith is something we realize. Faith is not something you can generate. Faith is something you realize. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. You, 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 you really hurt my feelings there. Okay, for by grace, I thought I did a better job. All right, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it goes on to say, this isn't your own doing. It's a gift from, from God. Faith is a gift. Yes, your salvation is a gift, but faith the faith to even accept the grace and forgiveness is a gift. And that's why faith is not something you can muster up, not something you can create. Faith is only something you can realize because when you realize that faith is a free gift from God, it will set you free. It will, it will completely set you free. But too often we live, we live in the opposite. We believe that 
we have to somehow generate without ourselves the same level of faith that we see in other people. But this is flawed, and this will lead you to becoming numb. And I'll tell you why. Because when you have faith in yourself, you're going to fail. The only person, here's the truth, the only person who's going to let you down more than everybody else is you. Man, I thought I might get an amen from somebody on that. So if all that you have is faith in you, when you can't do it, where does your faith go? You become numb. Do you see the problem? You gotta have more faith. You gotta generate more faith. Okay, I'm gonna generate more faith. And then you don't. You place that faith in yourself to grow your faith and it doesn't happen. Now there's failure. Now there's numbness. When you have faith in yourself, you will fail. Here's the deal. When we fail, when we fall, when we don't get it right, it shouldn't shake our faith because our faith is not in us. Our faith is rooted in Jesus who never shakes. Our our faith is rooted in Christ who never moves. Our faith is rooted in Jesus who is there in the beginning, has been there in the end, and is walking with us right now. And so if my faith is rooted in the eternal thing that is outside of me, but also lives inside of me, then my faith never is shaken because it's placed in Jesus Christ. Instead, we want to place our faith in ourselves. We want to place our faith in ourselves. Man, this is why realizing faith is so important. And, and I, know, like, I know that when we talk about faith, so I don't know really what you think about. I think maybe you think it's kind of like magic or something. Like we talk about faith, you kind of expect Jesus to like, poof, like appear, like a genie out of your Bible, you know? Like if you rub your Bible three times, Jesus, well, what can I, you know, what kind of gifts can I get for you? What kind of wishes can I grant for you, master? I don't know what you think about. Like, like that's not what faith is. Like, not at all. In fact, Galatians 5, 6 says this. It says that the only thing that counts, okay, just pause, pause. I believe in the inerrancy and, and, and of scripture. I believe that it is completely true. Every single word in it, okay? That it is completely true. Would you agree with that? Yes? Okay, so if Galatians, if Galatians 5 says the only thing that counts is whatever comes next is probably important. And this is what he says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. And, and I don't know how, and I don't know when, I don't know why, but at some point, somehow along the way, uh, uh, in, in our church world, <laughs> in church world, we want to express faith without the filter of love. We want to express our faith all day long. We want to talk about our faith when we're with people of faith. We want to sing about our faith. We want to lift up our hands. We want to show everybody else how faithful we are. But when it comes to expressing faith through the filter of love, eh, like going and serving on a Saturday, faith expressed through love, no, no, I'm, I'm good. And yet Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressed through love. We don't want to do that, especially when we're numb. I mean, when we're numb, we're going to everybody just sucking them dry. We are emotional vampires. You get that, right? When you're, we turn into black holes when we're numb because we're this swirling, whirling vortex of darkness that sucks in all the emotional energy and doesn't let any light escape. We suck the vitality out of people 
And we just eat it and we grow more and more and more and more. And, and when we're numb, like we, we're, looking, we're looking for somebody and someone to blame. And so instead of saying, how is this church meeting my needs? How, how is this community meeting my, my needs? Maybe it should be faith expressed through love, which means we're the church. How are we meeting others' needs? I mean, here's the fact. If you're here, you're family. And you're like, oh, that's so warm and fuzzy. No, not all the time, because you've got a job to do. Like, here's what I know about being, being a part of the Davenport family. We've got chores. My kids don't necessarily like them, but they're a part of our family, so they do them. That, that's... That's part of what happens when you're a part of a family. I have people come to me all the time and say, okay, Travis, I, uh, here's what I like to do. Here's what I'm good at doing. Here's what, I, here's what I really want to do. Here's some specialties. Where can you use me in this church? And I get it. In fact, I appreciate the ambition behind that statement. But faith expressed through love, may, maybe, now just maybe, we should attack it like this. Hey, what's the biggest need in our church? Hey, who are the people who are hurting the most in our church? Hey, what are some issues that nobody else wants? Y'all take those. Can you imagine? When I read about the church in Acts, it says that nobody was in need of anything. Nobody. Can you imagine a community where the people in our own family don't have any need for anything? Can you imagine that? That's the church that Jesus imagines. That's the church that Jesus died for. That's the church that Jesus resides in. Instead, we're too busy about using our talents and using our gifts and leveraging the church as a platform to talk about how great we are. That is not the intention of the church. That is not what it was created for. It's faith expressed through the filter of love. Faith expressed through the filter of love. Now, I gotta kind of move on here. I could camp on that for a minute, for a hard minute. But when it comes to faith, I kind of tricked you earlier because I talked about you know, faith and doubt. But the fact of the matter is, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's really not. And, and if you meet a Christian who has never experienced doubt, then you're talking to a Christian who's never used a brain. If you're talking to a Christian who's never had doubts, you're talking to a Christian who's never experienced faith because doubt is a vital piece of what faith is. Think about Moses. Think about David. Think about Solomon. Think about Peter. Think about Thomas. Think about Paul. All these individuals doubted, but that doubt drove them deeper into a relationship with the Lord. Doubt is normal. Doubt takes place. And I want to let you know, God's big enough to handle your doubts. I feel like for a long time when I was young growing up, I couldn't, I couldn't like raise some questions that I had about creation. Like when I was young, like, man, I, I hear this and I hear this and I hear this and I hear this, but I'm scared to say anything because what if God's angry? And I, I'm just, I'm to a point where I do believe that God is big enough to take your questions. He's large enough and scripture is good enough that he, we can have our questions and God is big enough to answer those things. Even though we see doubt as the opposite of faith, doubt is actually a component of faith. First step, getting out of numb. Stop trying to have faith and start living out faith. Stop trying to have faith and stop comparing your faith to the faith of others and just start living out your faith. Number two, our misconception of love. When I was, when I was little, <laughs> um, one of the things I really loved to do was spend the night at my grandparents' house. 
I used to get to stay up late, watch old westerns with people shooting each other, and um, and then we'd wake up early or earlier, and we would eat a big country breakfast. But my, my favorite thing about my grandparents' house was I used to sleep in their bed with them, and it was my favorite. They they actually slid two beds together, and I would sleep in the middle. And I just like get lost in the crack. You know what I'm talking about? Like lost halfway down, you know, just my arm was sticking up. And, but I remember I stayed over there so often. And, and every single night, my grandfather had his clock radio. I mean, literally every single night, his clock radio by his bed. And he would always play country music. You know what I'm talking about? He'd always play like, but he'd play real country music, by the way. Like Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline young, skinny Garth Brooks. I'm talking like the real, like the real kind of country. And, and I remember this one song, and I remembered it this week, and it kind of made me laugh. Looking for love. You know that song? In all the wrong places. That's how it kind of goes. It goes on from there. And I think when we think of love, that's the misunderstanding. That's the disconnect. That love is something that we have to go out there and get, and then capture it and bring it back in here. Is, is this making sense? I got you now. Now you're hooked. Because that's what we think love is, don't we? We got to look for it, and then we target it, and then we find it, and then we trick her into marrying us. Okay, anyway, <laughs> we find it, and then we get that love, and we bring it, bring it in here. But there's a problem with this, because when love comes from the outside in, it makes you fragile. You are only, if, if love is from the outside in, you are only as strong, you are only worth as much, if you're connecting your worth to that, you are only as good as that bond between that outside love and yourself. If that, if that bond is shaken, your identity is shaken. If that bond breaks, your identity breaks because it's from the outside in, it actually makes you fragile. So when love breaks, we break. When we love from the outside in, we're fragile. However, when our love comes, let me see if I can say this right. When our love comes from the inside out, we become resilient. When I, when I have love that is generated internally out, what can you do to me? People will leave me. People might hate me. Jesus says, expect that. But I've overcome the world. Don't worry. I'm in you. I'm inside of you. It's an inside out type of love. Love that comes from the inside out makes you resilient. And so it's important for, for God's love to not be an outside-in love, but for God to, to be an inside-out love. And by the way, can I just side note, that's, that's just clearly the, the difference between religion and Jesus, by the way. Religion is an outside-in type of love. Religion will say, aspire to this, go for that, work for this, suffer for that, sweat for this, and it will leave you loveless because you can never achieve that. But an inside out love, Jesus says, no, I'm here. You've already got me. Like, regardless of what you do, I'm here. I mean, when I first got this, it blew my mind. Absolutely. Because we already know that there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. And he lo I mean, he loves us perfectly. It's an inside out type of love. Like if I'm going for an outside in, it's going to make me numb. But if I realize, once again, realize the love that's already inside of me because of Jesus Christ. See, what happened is God, we, we broke. We broke what God had made. We broke it. 
Good job. <laughs> we broke it. Sin entered into the world, and it's a new ball game. And God, God tried over and over and over to get close to his people, and finally he sends Jesus Christ to die for his people. But not so that he can be some far distant God, but no, Scripture says that literally God takes up residence inside of his people. We literally believe that the Holy Spirit, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, lives in your body, <laughs> lives inside of you, that we become a temple. That's why it's an inside-out type of love. God is at your core. God is at your center. And don't get this twisted either, because Genesis 1 is very clear. It says that we were created in the image of God. What do you think that means? That God's a ginger? There's some deeper implications here. What is God? How does scripture define God? It says God is, God is love. That is a part of his image inside each and every one of us is a longing for that love. Inside each and every one of us, there is that, that echo of love. And by the way, by the way, this makes for a safer relationship. It makes for a stronger relationship because I'm not working from a hollow center trying to get it filled from somebody. When I realize that my love for Jesus Christ, my love from Jesus Christ is an inside-out love, I'm already filled up. I'm not dependent on you to fill me, which, by the way, is a good thing. Here's what I know about my wife. I love my wife, but I cannot fulfill my wife's deepest needs. That can only be done by her Savior. But something amazing happens. When we allow Jesus to, to envelop us internally with that love, it gives us the unique ability to accept another person's inadequate love as adequate. It allows me to derive love from them because I'm already filled up with Jesus. I mean, we know that about human love. Human love is just inadequate love, like altogether, right? It just is. You're gonna let me down. I'm gonna let you down. You're gonna let me down. I'm gonna let you down. You're gonna lie to me. I'm gonna lie to you. You're not gonna make toast the way I like it. Whatever it is. Okay? But when I'm filled up with Christ, I'm not looking to you to fill me. I'm already filled. And, and, and so now that you love someone not that has loved you perfectly, but that you love them beyond their imperfection. And we have to deal with this because if we don't, we're going to be alone. Sorry to be so whatever. But it, you have to deal with this issue because if not, you will be disconnected. You'll be isolated. You'll be numb. And I don't, know of, I don't know of any, if there's a greater desperation than someone who is disconnected from people. As humans, that's the greatest, that's the worst thing ever to be disconnected from humans. It really is. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're a parent, you're like, I love to be disconnected from humans for just like a day. I get that. But, but think about it this way. In prison, the worst thing that they can do to you is stick you in a box away from everyone. That'll drive you crazy. Solitary confinement. There's, there's so many things they could do, do to you, but they decided that the worst thing they could do is to isolate an individual. That's... that's, that's Yet somehow in our modern faith, we, we've come to buy into this lie that we just need Jesus, but we don't need to be a part of a community. That I can have God, but I don't need to be a part of his church. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Like, oh, I, oh, I'm, oh, I'm a devout follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Oh, really? Where do you go to church? I do not attend church. I, I do not partake in the church. Okay, cool. You're missing out on what Jesus came to do. Because without Jesus Christ, because without Jesus, without God, you desperately need people. Can we agree with that? But then you meet God, and then you realize that you desperately know you need people. It's the same thing. We were created to live in community. We were created to live together. And what I want you to know is like that, that, that love is what cures your disconnection. Part of what cures that numbness, that disconnect, that aloneness is love. But don't get me twisted because you're a black hole, man. It's not the love that you receive that cures your disconnection. It's rather the love that you give. Stop looking for a place where everybody's going to love you. This is not cheers. Like, that, real, that let me realize how young our church is, because nobody laughed at that. And I know it was funny, so. We're always looking for atmospheres where everybody's going to love us. No, 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 no. You know what church is? Church is a place where you show up and you love everybody. Stop looking for places where everybody loves you and everybody helps you and everybody blah, blah. No, you start moving, expressing your faith through love. You find a place where you can love on everybody else and that is what will cure your disconnection. This is what keeps us numb is that we expect people to pull us out and people can't pull us out. People can't speak enough life into you. People don't have arms large enough to pull you out. Not at all. Second step to getting at a numb. Stop counting on the outside love from others to cure you and start depending on God's internal love to save you. Now, I gotta blast through this last one kind of quickly, but it's our misconception of hope. And here's what I'll say about this. It is easy to misplace hope. <laughs> it, it, is, it is easy to lose hope if you put it in the wrong place. If you don't believe me, take a look around, around our world and our country. You know, loved ones that have gone too, too soon. Um, marriages that are broken. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Beyond that, our, I mean, our government, it's very polarizing right now. Issues concerning race and finances and, you know, immigration. People are at opposite ends of the spectrum, shouting, yelling, hating. Beyond that, there's genocide that takes place in our world, murdering children. There's poverty. There's a water crisis. I mean, it doesn't take long to lose hope. Would you agree? Yes? It doesn't take long to lose hope. But when you talk with somebody <laughs> that says, oh, man, I believe it can get better. I have hope that it will. We shrug and kind of say, yep, here's the hoping. My hope tank is, is drained. And that's where the misconception lies. Because hope is more than the desire for something good. Hope is actually the expectation for something good. Hope is actually the expect, you're expecting something good. And what I want you to know is that unless that hope is rooted in the promise of Jesus, your hope will be lost. In other words, if you, if you place your hope in the human collective, your hope will be lost. And I'll tell you why. Because we can't help but let each, ourselves down, much less let each other down. Don't place your hope in me. Don't place your hope in that person. Don't place your hope in that celebrity. They will fail you. They will run. 
you must place your hope in a different place. If we place our hope in our own life in this world, we'll be let down. And, 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 and here's the reason why. Because scripture teaches this life is not all that there is. It says it's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's blown out and it's gone. You're going to place all your hope in a vapor? You're going to place all your hope in a mist? Place your hope in Jesus. Place your hope in the home that you're made for. You place your hope in this world. This world isn't even the way it was created to be. Stop being depressed because you're investing in hopeless things and feeling hopeless. That's a bad investment. I'm not necessarily a great investor, but I can tell you if I'm investing in things that are giving me an awful return, I'm going to stop investing in them. Yes? Stop being shocked when you invest in hopeless things and it returns hopelessness. Instead, invest in Jesus Christ. Now, once again, I love the words of Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 54, he says, oh, this is a good verse. This is a good verse. You should be jacked up a little bit about this verse. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. By the way, he's talking about us in heaven. He's talking about this, this day when our perishable, the perishable body puts on the imperishable, this immortal body that we will spend eternity with heaven. And he says, at that time, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just gonna read that one more time because it's so good and you should make a little bit of noise because it's so good. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are placing your hope in anything other than the victorious nature of Jesus Christ, you will be defeated. You will feel defeated. You will live defeated. It is only through Jesus Christ's blood that we have access to God, only through his blood that we have victory, and only because of the man God, Jesus Christ himself, that we can claim to have any hope at all. This world gives me no hope. What hope can it offer? Brokenness? Depravity? No, my friend. My hope is there. My hope is found in the world that is to come. My hope is found in the Savior who lives in me. Third step for getting out of numb. Understand that your hope must be rooted in your Savior and not your situation. I feel like Paul understood this better than anybody else. Maybe Stephen as well. <laughs> I love, they're always threatening to kill Paul. They got him in jail and they're like, we're gonna kill you. And he's like, okay, well, good. That'll make the gospel go farther in my country. All right, well, we're just gonna keep you in prison. In prison. That's fine, I'm gonna evangelize the whole prison then. Well, whatever, we're just gonna let you go. Fantastic, I'm gonna go tell how you let me go to God be the glory. I mean, you could not mess with this guy. What are you gonna do to Paul? Why do we not have that attitude? Hmm? Why? It's because we place our hope in the things that are here. And do you know what's so bad? I mean, it's like the matrix because you're placing your faith and your hope and your love in things that are just an illusion. In the end, you're not even placing your hope, faith, or love in things that are 
that are real. And I want to assure you that faith, hope, and love are three things that will not only pull you out of your numbness, but they are three things that you cannot live without. You cannot. Listen, you can live without money. Not going to be fun, but you can do it. You can, uh, you can live without a car. You can live without a house. You can live without a mortgage. You can live without coffee, I, I think. You can live without Facebook and social media. You can even live without a phone. In fact, you can live without ever being married. You can live without a husband or a wife. You can live without a lot of things that you've been accustomed to live with, but what you cannot live without as a human is love. Every day that you choose to live without love, your soul dies. What you cannot live without is faith. And every day that you choose to live without faith, you become paralyzed and incapable of creating the future that God designed you to live. And you cannot live without hope. And when you try to live without hope, you will suffocate very quickly. Very, very quickly. Despair, depression, anxiety, stress, every psychological definition of a human neurosis is in the end just a human without hope. Listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. If you find hope, you will begin the process of healing. And if you find faith, you will have the strength to move towards that healing. And if you find love, then you will find the very thing that will heal your deepest wounds in Jesus Christ, truly. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus didn't just come to help us identify what we need. Jesus Christ came to actually be what we need. He came to stand in the gap. He came to say, I I know that you're broken, but I'll take that brokenness. Cast your cares on me. Because I care for you. Listen, I know what they did. I know what they said. I, I know you've been working so hard. Listen, you just, you just need to realize that I'm here. And I've been here. And I've known you. I created you. I, I sewed you together. I knit you together while you were in your mother's womb. In fact, before the very foundations of the earth were even laid, I knew you and I called you by name. My father, God demonstrated his love towards you and that while you were yet sinning, I, I, he sent me to die for you. I, I know you. For some of us, we just need to realize in the end, the only solution to numb is Jesus. It's Jesus. And you might say, I don't even know, Travis, what that means. It means with whatever strength that you have, even if it's just a little, You roll to your side and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, do what I cannot do for myself. I barely have the will. I barely have the heart. I barely have the capacity. But if you are who you say you are, save me from this hypocrisy. Save me from this numbness. Save me from this emotion, this state of being. And here's what I can tell you. Listen. He will save you. He will save you because he's a God who never moves, because he's a God who's always just, and because he is filled with faith, hope, and love.
this morning. Father, we glorify your name. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask right now that you would truly move, Lord, within us, God. For those of us right now who feel numb, Lord, I pray that we would come to the place right now where we would realize that the only salvation from that place is Jesus. Holy Spirit, move. Work in a powerful way. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.